Well, yesterday, uh, my wife and I, along with our daughter, Marin, hosted a sixth birthday party uh, at our apartment. And we have a little pool. And it, I, I, you know, it was at 2 p.m. and the June gloom had passed over. And there was literally like 50 kids and adults around this pool raging against the machine. And there, at one point, I walked into like my house, my apartment. I went into my bedroom and there were six kids jumping on the bed. I'm like, everybody out. Everybody get out of here. I don't know. And, and like, and it was like, and it was that one kid what, that everyone has in the class. I was like, it was, and I told Nikki later, it was like, hey, the one kid from, you know, the, you know. So, uh, you know, every class, you, you'll know this. If you don't know, there is that one kid in the class. She was on the bed. Okay, so um, and so it was crazy. It was wild. It was fun. And we had a ball. It was wonderful. And it made me happy and sad because my daughter turning six, she relates to her dad and her mom a certain way. And she has fun with us. She takes us at our word. She's like, are you joking? I can't tell. She listens to us. If she has a need, she says, dad, mom, can I please have food? God, mom, dad, can you please play Candyland, uh, whatever it is, she plays with, she, she cuddles with us. I, I was getting dressed this morning and I walked into our bedroom and Marin was cuddling with Nikki. She was tired from yesterday's festivities, you know, and the way she relates to us when she gets sad, when she gets mad, sometimes we've noticed that she's starting to speak in a British accent and clicks her teeth when she wants to say something fancy, like, uh, this tea is delicious. What'd you say it was? And, uh, and uh, over time, like we know that this will change in the future. She will mature and she will grow and she won't relate to us the same way. And it's so sad. And uh, we're just doing our best to soak it all in now and enjoy every second of it. And what I've found is, and you know this to be true for your own life, uh, that the way Marin relates to us now is not the way she will relate to us as an adult. And uh, the way children relate to their parents when they're kids, when they're young, is different than the way adult children relate to their parents. And there's these in-between years we call the teenage years where kids get ridiculous or they get a little, whatever you want to say, rebellious. It reminds me of my favorite, one of my favorite quotes uh, about like growing up and dealing with uh, your parents. It comes from the author Mark Twain. Maybe you've heard this quote. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished at how much he had learned in seven years. Our perspective changes. The way a small six-year-old relates to their parents or their father is different than the way a 14-year-old and a 21-year-old and a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old. You change over time. You grow over time. Your perspective changes over time. Now, studies have shown that how we relate to our families of origin, and in particular, how we relate to fathers in our family of origin, it often predicts or sets the tone for how we think about and how we relate to God. In the Bible, God is often referred to as God our Father. God our Father this, God our Father that. And it's no surprise that people tend to be anthropocentric, and we tend to put our view of God the Father, we gather that from what we experience 
with our earthly fathers. And we sort of make an anthropomorphic image out of God. So if you had a very loving and kind and caring father, you will project that onto God. If you had an angry father that was a strict disciplinarian, you may Put that on to God. If you had never met your father, your father was distant or it was a non-existent relationship, it is possible that you might project that onto God. People tend to ascribe the attributes of God the Father. They get that from their earthly fathers. Now, what we know from the Bible is that no matter what kind of relationship you had with your earthly father, your heavenly father offers you a vision and an idea of what could be. And so it doesn't matter what you experience, whether you had a good experience or a bad experience with your father, there is a picture that Jesus gives us, a new vision for what our relationship with God, our father, can look like. And so um, you kind of see the theme that we're going at here about God, our father. And I believe that it's important for you to have more resources as you go into Father's Day week. Now, I don't know if you know this, but next Sunday is Father's Day. And so maybe you should call your dad or whatever. But like sometimes when we get to Father's Day, we haven't really sorted through the issues of dad and all the things. And some of us have very positive, some of us have very negative views. But let's give you some resources. And it just so happens to line up with our series, which is called Experiencing God. And one of the things we need to learn if we really want to experience the power and the reality of God in our lives is we need to learn how to relate to God our Father. So I call today's talk, How to Relate to God Our Father. I'm going to pray and invite God's presence. Will you join me? God, our Father, we welcome you here. And God, we sense that your spirit is with us. He's with us. He's communicating to us. He's talking to us. God, and we welcome you to do your thing. God, I ask that you would show us how to relate to you. God, I ask that we wouldn't project onto you the things that we shouldn't project onto you, but we would be open uh, to the new ways that you want to communicate and love us. I ask that you would help me to speak as I should. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. So, well, right now we're going to be looking at uh, something that, uh, a couple of stories that are called parables. And those come from the life of Jesus. Jesus often spoke in parables. If you don't know what those are, those are fictitious stories that have a point. They have a meaning behind them. And so what we're going to be looking at is uh, something in something in Jesus most famous speech in his whole life. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And you can find it in Matthew's chapter five, six and seven in the Bible. And what Jesus is doing is he's explaining to all of us. He's explaining to his audience what the kingdom of God is like. Now, there were ideas uh, that the Jewish people had about what God's kingdom was going to look like and smell like and feel like. And Jesus comes along and he shows up in power and he's healing people. And then he's there. They're like, what do you got to say, Jesus? So he stands up and what he does is he says, here's what God's kingdom is actually like. Let me give you some examples. This is how you know you're involved in my new administration that I'm establishing here on earth. And so he's showing us that it's quite different than the expectations that had been set. He's showing us that there's a way to relate to God. There's a way to interact with God our Father that's different than what people thought. And so 
in other parts of his sermons, uh, of this sermon, he said that we shouldn't uh, pray like uh, the, the Pharisees. The Pharisees often prayed as hypocrites. They would pretend to be more righteous and they would do more good things, hoping that God would give them what uh, give them what they wanted. And he said, don't pray like the pagans who think that because of their many words, they're heard by God, they're babbling. Um, and so that's kind of the backdrop before we jump into these verses. And if you don't know what this means, as a pastor, um, I often get to hang out with people that want to do religious things. So we go to the Bible study, I go to the service or whatever. And what I found in my ministry career is that when people pray in public, or when they're praying around the pastor, somehow they turn into this other kind of person. And they use this other kind of language when they're praying. They start to use words that I don't think they even know what they're saying. Are they the Lord? I, and their voice changes. They almost become British. I think I've talked about them. They're like, their voice gets raspy. And they're like, they're trying to do something to make them feel like they're connecting with God. Like they're more spiritual than they are. And it happens more often than you would think. And it sounds like this, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would come. And, and anyway, I don't want to do that anymore. But like, I'm around a lot of people that like, you know, like to sound religious. And so my encouragement to you, just as a side note, when you come to God in prayer, you should relate to him and be yourself. You don't need to sound more spiritual. Jesus says you don't need to do that at all. Jesus offers us freedom from formula and he offers us freedom from public pressure. We don't have to pray that way. We don't have to relate that way to God. So with that backdrop, we slip into these verses, and here's what Jesus says. He says this. He says in verse 7 of Matthew 7, he says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Again, the assumption here is that there is a new way to tap into the reality of God. How should we relate to God? Do we have to sound religious? No. Do we have to use a lot of words? No. Do we have to clean up our act before we go and talk to God? No. What do we see here? We see three things. We see ask. We see seek. And we see knock. We see the word knock. That's how you do it. This is how you relate to God. Look at the familiarity God wants his followers to have when they interact with him. Uh, notice also there is a growing sense of urgency. With, you start with ask, and then it grows to seek, and then it grows to knock. Richard Glover, he's a theologian. He, often, uh, he said this, he used an illustration to talk about the passage. He suggests that if a child, uh, if his mother is near, he will ask. If the mother cannot be seen, she's not visible, she's not in the room, he will seek. And if she is inaccessible in her own room, the boy will knock on the door to get her attention. So what does this mean? Which means we ask, and it means we seek, and it means we knock on the door. God is inviting us to pursue him. We ask, God, will you do this thing in my marriage? That, is, that needs to be done. God, will you provide clarity about my future? We seek. We say, God, 
I want your help regarding this project at work. God, I'm stepping into leadership at Pacific City Church, and I'm seeking you because I need to lead these people the way you want me to lead these people, not the way I want to lead these people. God, I'm knocking on the door. If you don't come through and help me earn an income, I'm going to be out on the street. God, I need you to come and do something, or you're praying for a family member who is six, you say, God, unless you show up, unless you do the thing that I cannot do, nothing will happen. I have a friend who's knocking on death's door, but I believe that you can heal. God, I'm coming to you. I'm asking you to answer the door because if you don't do something, nothing will happen. God, I need you, and I'm dependent upon you. And so how do we approach God, our Father? I see two things. I see We approach him with confidence and we approach him with persistence. Let me ask you a question. How do you approach God? Do you approach him with confidence? God, I believe that you can do this thing in my life. God, I believe that you can do this thing in my city, in my neighborhood. Are you persistent in the way you do it? Are you confident that God wants to hear from you? Or do you project onto God the things that you, you shouldn't project onto God? Are you, do you make excuses for God? Oh, maybe he doesn't want to hear me. Or maybe you think to yourself, you know, maybe if I was a better person, maybe if I worked a little harder at my spiritual life, God would want to hear from me. That's not true. That's not true. Or are, how about are you persistent? You get the sense that Jesus invites his followers to be persistent in the way we communicate with them. And, you know, maybe you have like a struggle um, or, you know, I meet so many people that are like, you know, my marriage, it's really hard. It's been hard for like 10 years. Uh, you know, they say all the things you shouldn't say about a spouse and, the, and, you, and they go, you know, and I've been praying. I've been persistent. And I ask, how long have you been praying? And I've been there like, well, I prayed for about a minute three times this week, and that's it. And you get the idea that there needs to be more. There needs, there's a sense of persistence that's required, not just praying three times and asking, but there's something that Jesus invites us to to be persistent, and that's how we're formed, confidence and persistence. And the promise is that if we ask and if we seek and if we knock, that if we're confident and we persist in bringing our request before God, Here's what will happen. What happens when we approach God our Father? If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you ask, you will receive? Do you believe that if you seek, you will find? Do you believe that if you knock on the door, that God your Father will answer that door? Do you believe that that's possible for you? I do. I believe it's possible for you. Now, the objection here is, yes, but I've prayed for things. I've prayed for things persistently for years, and they haven't happened. I've prayed for a sick family member, and they've gotten sicker. I've prayed for my sister's marriage, and it's gotten worse. I've been praying for the salvation of my friend. He's in a bad way. He needs to be saved by the grace of God, and he's not, nothing has happened. I've been praying for her addictions, and nothing has moved. She continues to be addicted. She continues to waffle between sobriety and addiction. Nothing has changed. Things did not happen on my timeline. So why bother? Why pray? Why pray? Now, I understand that. Why does God answer or not answer prayers according to our timeline? 
It's a little bit mysterious. And the thing about a mysterious aspect of God is just that. It's mysterious. But here's what I know to be true. First, it not only humbles us before God so that we never try to manipulate him to turn him into some sort of cosmic vending machine. If we put enough uh, prayer requests up, if we behave a certain way, if we give enough to the church, like God is not bound by our timeline and our manipulations and our formulas. He's just not. He's not going to be. Not only that, but second, we also see that the mysterious timing of the Lord ought to fill everybody, you and me, with a sense of hope. And what you see is that you can say to yourself, you know, I have not seen my daughter or my my son or my father or my mother come to know Jesus today, uh, yesterday, but it, they may come to know him today. And that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't want to do something in their life today. You know what? I haven't seen this person healed from an illness yesterday, or I haven't seen healing for myself this last day or this last week or this last year. But it doesn't mean that the healing of the Lord won't come today. Healing of the Lord could come today. And Jesus tells us that the wind will blow wherever it wills. Who knows if today isn't the day of salvation? Who knows if today isn't a day of healing? We don't know what the future holds. And Jesus invites us to continue to be confident and have persistence, even though we haven't received what we asked for. So, he sort of says this, ask, you'll receive, seek, you knock, uh, seek, knock, and, go, and, and yada, yada, yada. Uh, what else does he say? What else do we see here? Well, we see this uh, going on in verse 9. Jesus says this. He says, which of you, he's talking to his audience, which of you, well, all you parents out there, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, Will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, I believe you can read this in two ways. Um, My daughter uh, loves uh, sunny side up eggs. And we call those dippy eggs. She goes, daddy, can I have some dippy eggs? And I will gladly, yes, I will gladly make her dippy eggs. Now, what would you think of me uh, if she asked for dippy eggs and I gave her a piece of a flat tire? <laughs> you would, you, like, what would you do? You'd be like, this guy is cruel. This guy is, is, in, is evil and sadistic. And in the same way, this is what God, Jesus is saying about God, our father, That God, our father, he isn't evil. He isn't manipulative. He isn't like diabolical. God, our father is good and he loves to give good gifts. And you, human being, you know that you're fallible. You know that you don't make the right decisions every day, all the time. But God, our father does. This is what you, and if he makes good decisions all the time, how much more will he give you good things if you ask for them? Friend, do you believe that God is good, that his intentions for you are good, that he wants to give you good things? Sometimes we don't believe that he's good or, and I think the way this comes out is we often say no for God. 
We do this with people, especially if you work in sales. We'll say no for people. If you've ever worked in sales, they'll teach you. They'll say, uh, don't say no for the other person. So like, maybe I should call and do this and ask for this. Oh no, they'll probably say no. We do that all the time with other people, but we also do it with God. We make excuses for God and we say no for God. But what we see here is that if he is a father, let's treat him like a father. We don't need to treat him like a government bureaucrat or a dictator who's ruthless and who might punish us for asking questions or who might treat us our questions as trivial or irrelevant to his wants or needs. We're not dealing with a brutal dictator here. We're dealing with a dad, a dad who welcomes us and encourages us to ask. Then it's up to him to decide if that's what he wants to do. Now, what we also see here is that God gives us good gifts, but we, what, he won't give us bad gifts either. Now, what happens if we reverse the language on those things, on the, on the verses we just looked at? So if, what if it said this? Which of you, if your son asks for a stone, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a snake, will you give him a snake? What we see here is that sometimes kids ask for the wrong thing. Now, I have a, like, I've been using Marion a lot as a, an example here. But the other day, uh, Marion got up early and uh, Mar- Nikki, my wife, was sleeping in. And so um, I didn't really want to make breakfast. And uh, there, in the, there in the fridge was the chocolate cake. And, and, and I, like, I was like, you know what? Uh, somewhere in my brain, uh, I was like, well, what's in chocolate cake? All the ingredients. Fl- there's, there's eggs. There's eggs. <laughs> And chocolate cake and wheat. That's nutrition. Chocolate cake coming right up. And so I sliced her a piece of the cake and I gave it to her. And she just looked at me like, is this allowed? (laughs) Am I allowed to eat chocolate cake for breakfast? And she ate the chocolate cake and sang my praises. Dad is great. And give us the chocolate cake. And so, and, and we had a ball. And so that all, that is, and that's good. That happens every once in a while. But what would you think if my daughter asked for chocolate cake every day? I wouldn't give it to her. And you would say you are a different kind of evil, diabolical parent, giving your kid candy or chocolate every day. And the the deal is, is kids, to the best of their knowledge, request what they think they want or need. But sometimes they do not understand what they actually need. They don't know what they need. And we don't give them what they don't need. It's our job and our responsibility before God and before the government to take care of our kids the best that we can. Let me ask you a personal question. Could it be that your prayers are consistent and they're persistent and you're doing it with confidence, but maybe you're not receiving a request for the thing that you've requested from God because it's not the right time? Or maybe, just maybe, Are you willing to be humble for just a second? Say, maybe I don't understand everything that's going on in the world. And maybe this is a divine mercy that on this side of eternity, that I'm being prevented from having this thing because God is looking out for me. I don't think that's the case every time. But for most of the time, our problem is that we're not really willing to be open to the fact that maybe the thing we're requesting isn't the right thing. And a lot of times the other problem uh, is that we're not, we're too eager to ask for, we're not too eager to ask for the wrong things. The problem is we're not nearly eager enough to ask for the right things. 
And what God our Father is doing. He's not only just here to help us and give, our, give us our requests. He's here to help us to give us what we need. But he, God our Father is developing us. He's building us up to become people that are like his son Jesus. He's committed to developing you into a mature man and a mature woman of God. You are being grown and developed to become who you were intended to be. And who you are right now is not where you're going to be in the future. God is committed to your development. And our prayer life isn't so much to make sure that God feels good. It is for our development. Now, one of my favorite Christian authors, his name is Tim Keller, and he tells this story about if, you're, if you have a five-year-old and that five-year-old uh, comes to you and says, hey, uh, mom and dad, can I go play in the front yard? And the mom and dad will, will have to weigh in. They'll say, you know, yeah, that's fine. Go ahead, play in the front yard. Don't leave the yard because uh, in 30 minutes we're actually going to have dinner and we need you to come have dinner with us, Okay. Uh, so don't go. And the kid runs off. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So fast forward. If this same kid, let's just say he's at university, he lives on campus, he's 21 years old, uh, and uh, he's in his dorm room. He's like studying or listening to music or whatever. And the um, and um, some of his friends come into his dorm room. And they're like, "Hey, brah, do you want to go to the quad and play a frisbee?" And and uh, he's like, "Yeah, brah." I would totally want to go. Just let me check on something. So he, what he does, he takes his phone and he calls his parents and, and mom and dad pick up. He's like, hey, mom and dad, uh, some of my friends asked me if I could go play Frisbee on the quad. Is that okay with you? you, you the parents on the other line would be like, what's wrong with you, kid? What is wrong with you? You're 21 years old. You know your responsibilities. You know your duties. You know what your life is like. You don't need me to weigh in on this. Just decide. Make a decision. And Keller's point in this is that as we mature and grow in Christ, there's things that God's going to weigh in on in our life, and there's things that he won't. He'll just say, just decide. Just make a decision and see what happens. But also we see in this that as we mature, our prayers are supposed to mature too. That our prayers, like the prayer of a child is, Dad, can you please help me survive? Can I have some candy and have a good time or whatever it is? Can I please have some nutrients, even though I don't know what a nutrient is? But help me to develop the core of who I am. But as the kid grows, the way the kid relates to the parent is different. And Jesus wants the same for you and me. That he doesn't just want us to be totally self-absorbed and concerned with our own lives. You know, God, please help me to get the raise at work. God, please bring the most beautiful and handsome man the world has ever seen to my door so I can start dating him and fall in love. God, that it go, but that, may it be, may you meet the man of your dreams, lady. Uh, but like, also like he wants us to be others oriented. There's something about maturity where he calls us into something bigger that we pray as we were taught and we care about the concerns of others. God, I lift up this person in my life. They need you. God, I lift up the homeless in our city. This is an issue. What are you going to do, God? How do you want to use me? God, I want to relate to people differently in my job. I'm turning people off. They're seeing how I relate. I need to change. I need to become selfless in the way I, I live with others and interact with others. Can you change me? I care about them too much, God. And the point is, is that God wants to grant us what we need. He will give us what we need if we ask him 
He doesn't require us to jump through a bunch of hoops, but his desire through this prayer life, this prayer development as God our Father is to develop us in to people who are like his son, Jesus. So if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be open to you. But what is it? What is it that God wants to, you to find? Is it the thing that you had your set your eyes and heart on? Or is God instilling in you something bigger and grander than you thought, than just your own little life, your own little new car, or your own little pocket change that you can spend? Is there something bigger that God wants to develop in you that you can seek, you can ask for the kingdom to come in your life, in the lives of your friends? You can seek to see where the kingdom is happening around you in your community. You can knock on the door. God, you need to do something in this community. That your, chair, their, your prayers would change. That they would develop and become bigger than just you. They would become something that blesses and encourages the world. So, what do we do? Well, we treat God as Father. We let him know what's going on with us. We ask him for things. We seek. We knock. And then we sit back and we see what happens. We are supposed to expect surprises along the way, but we don't need to expect that God will ever let us down. We don't need that. And indeed, this is the message of Jesus's kingdom. And so your relationship with your dad, your father, I don't know what it was, good or bad or indifferent. The relationship you can have with God, your father, the way you can relate to him is one where you can go to him freely and say, God, this is where I am. This is who I am. God, take this, help me to change, to become like you. But God, also, I have these needs, I have these requests, I have these desires, I bring them to you. You need a warm relationship with God, your Father. If you don't have one, you're missing out. A lot of times we talk about the benefits of being a Jesus follower, this is one of them. Tap into the warm relationship you can have with God, the Father, and you won't be disappointed. Amen? Why don't we all stand?